You're listening to a River Life Fellowship message. We hope this message encourages you and enriches your life. For more information about us, visit us at riverlifefellowship.com. Anyways, open your Bible to John 4. Um, I've been trying to communicate some things in John 4, which I really feel is just things that God has really been speaking to me. And um, so I'm going to try to just... I've talked the last two weeks on John 4. And I believe it's uh, really something that God wants to communicate to our hearts. It's some, it's just, I believe this John 4 is packed with revelation. And I, I really want to try to get to the heart of the thing that really I felt God really spoke to me when I, He really first started speaking to me out of John 4. Um, you know, I talked to you one week about, you know, just having this dramatic encounter with the Lord and having a witness. And then I talked to you last week about worship. And I think those are two, you know, two really key things that you, you really find in John chapter 4. Um, but let's just read verse 6 and 7 again. Uh, it says, Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said uh, to her, Give me a drink. And it's one of the places in the Bible that you find Jesus asking for a drink. In other words, Jesus was thirsty there. And that's really uh, the thing I really want to talk to you about this morning is, is Jesus had thirst in his life. And um, I think there's, to me, it's, it's so important that we really understand that God himself is thirsting. Um, and I believe the woman, and I've said this a couple of times, I believe the woman is really a type of the church there in John 4. She's a type of us. And she was a really stressed person, really. I mean, she really had a lot of terrible issues in her life. Um, you know, as it goes on, it says she's been had five different husbands, you know, living with the guy. So she was, she was a sort of a messed up soul. And and I think we find in the church, not to put the church down on any level, I love the church, but I find, I, I find us to be messed up souls in the church. I find us to be uh, really needy. And, you know, it seems that we stay state. We, we stay messed up, it seems. And, and I believe God wants to do something about that. I really believe He wants to bring us to a, to a time where we are not such a distressed bunch. Um, um, one of the things that I feel like that she did, that we do, is she was looking for something in men that she could only get from God. In other words, this woman, obviously she was, there was something she was looking for, having five different husbands that she wasn't finding. There was something in her, that there was a need in this woman that she was trying to get met, that she was trying to get through, through men. And I think a lot of times in the church, we're looking for somebody, a person, to help us in our life. You find it a lot, you know, we've said this over and over in marriages where one of the partners is trying to get something out of their spouse that that person just simply cannot give them. And it creates a very unhealthy marriage. You know, some of the utmost unhealthy marriages is when one partner is trying to get something out of the other that the other can't give and it's creating a lot of frustrations in the marriage. And I think in the church we are looking for our heroes, our men of God, uh, to give us something that they can't really give us, that they're not meant to give us. 
And, we'll, and so we go from one thing to the other to the other to the other, one person, one ministry, one teaching, one this, one that, hoping that someday this thing in us that has this need, this desire in us will be fulfilled. And it never gets done. Um, but she had a, a personal encounter with the Lord, okay, which totally, totally impacted her life. And that's really what the church needs to have. We need to have a personal encounter with the Lord. Uh, every one of us in this room, I know I've shared this before, and I'll share it again because it really is the, the real truth. As a young Christian, I had a, a Christianity going that was basically lived through the lives of the people that I sat under in my church. And, and that was all well and good, but the day came where I didn't, those people were nowhere to be found. And I was having to face God, just me and God. And it was not a pretty sight for me. Because I found out that day that everything I knew about God, um, what they knew about God, and I didn't know God on a pers- personal level. You hear what I'm saying to you? And I believe that you know I mean, that was a, a dark day in my life, literally a very dark day. But also it was one of the turning points in my life when when I met God face to face myself and had an encounter with the Lord Himself. And it wasn't just what. You know, the time was Harry Bazell, who was our pastor. It wasn't just what Harry said anymore. I had my own thing. Now, we just cannot know God only through other people. And I underline only there because I think it's really important that we understand that God has placed people in our lives to help us. And I think one of the desperate needs in the church today, and this is really true, and I don't feel like I have this, but I'm starting to sense this, that we need a real revelation of the body of Christ that we lack. We There's a... There's, there's something. Listen, if, if I stick my hand on a burner and it burns my hand, my foot doesn't have to stick its foot up, itself up there to find out that thing's hot. You hear what I'm saying? In other words, my foot doesn't have to say, well, hand, just because you said it was hot doesn't mean it was hot. I need to know myself. And I think we sort of, we don't really understand the body of Christ. The church really doesn't understand the body of Christ. And there's a revelation that God wants to release about the body of Christ in the earth that will dramatically change church, I believe. Dramatically change it. Um, so on the one hand, yes, we desperately need our personal encounter with Jesus and a personal relationship with the Lord. But on the other hand, God has not made us independent of the body. Just Because if, cause if I cut my hand off today, it cannot function apart from, from the rest of me. If it stays, if it stays cut off from me, it's going to die. You see what I'm saying? And and there's more to this than I'm saying because I don't really understand the body of Christ. Really, it's mystical. It's it's you know, it's not what we think it is. It's not just coming to a church and sitting around with a bunch of other people. There's something there's something spiritual that God wants to release. And I believe before Jesus comes back, we will see the true body of Jesus Christ in the earth. I believe we'll see it. And I believe God wants to give us revelation concerning His body. I mean revelation, not just like, oh, this is, you know, stuff you read. So, you know, but um, back to the woman. The results of her, her encounter with the Lord, her personal encounter with the Lord, there was a spiritual harvest that happened. And see, that's what the church needs. We need an encounter with the Lord so there can be a harvest. We can go out. That's why we sort of closed ourselves in. That was a great preaching by... Mr. Tommy Murth, evangelistic anointing. You know, the reason we've closed ourselves in and got on the defense and huddled around is because we haven't had that encounter with the Lord. We don't, you know, we're, we feel so whipped ourselves. 
We haven't met this man Jesus in a real way where, we, where our lives are so touched and so impacted by this person. You know, we're impacted by church or by music in the church. Hey, that stuff's not going to... That stuff's not going to get it. You know? That's not the thing. You know? Oh, it's music. Oh, it's the preaching. Oh, it's this person. Well, okay, you got that person then. What have you got? You got just another person. And, you know, I just believe God has more for us than what we're presently walking in. So, that's sort of the thing that... Now, let's look at verse 23. Just, just to sort of review last couple of weeks, but um, verse 23, Jesus said, you know, in the middle of this big discussion about worship, you know, see, this was a, this was a planned discussion. It was no accident this woman brings, brings up worship. And Jesus said, but that, you know, after she throws her out her little theology on worship, uh, but the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers, true worshipers, not just people who go to a worship service, but true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. And, uh, you know, it began over there in 6 and 7 that Jesus was thirsty. And, and it was not for water that He was thirsty for. See, He was using... See, He knew there was this thing happening. Water was just a metaphor. Metaphor. Y'all know what a metaphor is. A metaphor for worship. He was using something natural to illustrate a spiritual truth. That's really the whole, the whole thing was about that. It was... There was something spiritual happening at that moment. What, they weren't talking about a glass of water. Because he said, you know, if you drink this water, you'll never thirst again. Well, how many in this room have drank that water? I have. You have. But I'm thirsty. I could have us drink right now. I'm thirsty. I'd thirst again naturally. You see what I'm saying? He wasn't talking about water like in the natural. This is spiritual is what he was talking about. And that's what we've got to see. There's something spiritual going on. He was, Jesus was thirsty for something. That's what he, when he said he, he's thirsting. We will never be Word of God all day. Word of God, it's just milk. You know, we can be fed that all day long, fat as fat and dumb and you know, happy, but be spiritually dehydrated. And that's what's wrong with a lot of us. We're spiritually dehydrated. Spiritually dehydrated. We may feel fat, look fat spiritually, but we're dehydrated people. And you know, I know you've all been at times when you just you've been hot and you sweat and you just couldn't get enough to drink. You've had that thing to happen where you just drink and drink and drink and drink. It's because your body was drained of all its fluids and you know, even one of the things that happens to you when you really get real dehydrated, your electrolytes in your body, when they go, you can drink. You just want to drink and drink forever because you, you can't quench the thirst because your body is screaming. And that's, that's the way the law of the church is, I believe. Is we're, we're, we're so wounded. We're so hurt. We're thirsting for something. We think, just, if I could just get a word, if I could just get this, if I could just get that, I'd be all right. And it doesn't seem to ultimately satisfy. Are you all with me? Now, for, that's for us. That's what worship is. For God, now this is on God's end. For God, worshipers are one of the few things in the Bible that He seeks after. Now, think about that for a minute. God's looking for something. Hand me in this room loose stuff. You're always looking for what you lost. I mean, man, when I lose something, it's a sad day because I don't lose stuff. But my, I know I'm, when I'm, that's one of the signs that God gives me when I'm messed up is I start losing things. 
It's like, oh, you're messed up. You're real distracted in your life. You know, we lose stuff. But think about it. That's exactly what God's looking for something. He's searching for something. And what He's searching for is worship. That's really ultimately what God wants from us is worship. Now, I want to tell you something. I mean, this may sound sort of bad in a way, but it ultimately is not... When God talks about saving people's souls, he, that's wonderful for Him. But really, you know why He really wants to save people's souls? They want, He's looking for those people to worship Him. You know, in that thing, like, oh, that couldn't be because God loves Of course God loves us. But God, there's something that God is looking for in us in terms of worship that He would die for us over it. He would die for us over it. Over worship. And you go and study the book of Revelations, and the ultimate battle in the end times is over worship. Between who's, who we're going to serve. We're going to worship God or we're going to worship the devil. And that's what the ultimate thing is all about. All right, now let's look in verse 34. Now Jesus jumps over here and, you know, uh, starts his old disciples, you know, they'd gone into town and gotten the order from the barbecue. Sweet fire barbecue. They got the sweet fire barbecue. They brought it to Jesus. They saw him talking to that woman and thinking, what in the world's wrong with Jesus? You know, it wasn't really the appropriate thing to do. Don't you love how the Lord never did anything that was appropriate? He, he just did everything that was totally inappropriate from a natural perspective. Uh, and they got to, you know, bring him thing. They, man, you know, verse 31. Uh, well, verse 32, but he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? I mean, you know, they were just confounded by Jesus, which we are just equally confounded by Jesus. And Jesus said to them, My food, now we're not talking about water, we're talking about food here. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, so Jesus got into this metaphor thing with this woman. So, you know, he was using water for worship. Now he's thinking, well, I'll just do the same thing to the disciples. You know, they're bringing hot dogs, they're bringing barbecue, and I want to talk to them about something besides natural food, so I'm going to do the same thing to them. Uh, his food, now this is important, his food, not his water. Jesus' food, what Jesus wants to eat spiritually, was to do the will of the Father and finish his work. That, that's what he just said there. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. See, well, you know, and that really should be our food. Really. Our food should be to do what God's called us to do with our life and finish it. That is really ultimately what is going to feed us. Food, spiritually. Are you all with me? Um, now, we're the ones who provide Jesus his water. Now, I want us to get that. His water is worship. The church, people, souls, human beings are the ones who actually water Jesus. And I'll show you this a little bit more in a minute. And that's why God, but that's why God's seeking worshipers. He's looking for worshipers. He's thirsty. He's, he's saying, I'm thirsty. I need this thing called worship. If God ever had a need, that's what it is, is worship. Okay? So that, that, we're the ones who give God that. Okay? Now let's go over to, uh, hold your place at John. Actually, you can get John 19 if you want to. But let's look in Luke 2:49. I want to show you this. Are y'all with me thus far? All right. First recorded words of Jesus in the Bible. I'm sure Jesus said other things growing up in the, you know, 
He wasn't mute. But this is the first thing that the Holy Spirit wanted us to know that Jesus said. And this is when Jesus was, what, 12 years old. It says in verse 42, when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. So here's a 12-year-old boy speaking something. Verse 49, everybody knows this. They, you know, they got to looking for Jesus. They went to the feast. It was a big thing that happened in Jerusalem. Everybody went up. They get ready to head home. They're just assuming Jesus is with their cousins or something. They're headed home. Then they find out he's not with them. So they you know, get all upset like normal parents would for over a 12-year-old, run back to Jerusalem, Look, start looking for him, find him. You know, you know, in verse 48, Son, why have you done this to us? You know, like any parent. Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. That's the mama talking. You know, that would be the mama talking. I remember one, I remember one time Aaron, when he was a little boy, he was, was at someone's house, and you know how little boys do. He decided he'd get up on the deck and walk around on it. I don't know how old he was. He was pretty young, probably six years old. He falls off the deck, just shoo. And I was sitting there, I watched him, and when he hit, it's like, he's all right. There's nothing wrong with him. I mean, he didn't cry, he just fell. But Becky got really mad at me over him falling. Like, I pushed him, and what is wrong with you? He fell, you know. Mamas are like that. You know, they get all upset. Yeah, he's all right, he just fell. I mean, it's a pretty high fall. It was probably six feet. You know, but, you know, he sort of just bounced and got up. <laughs> but Mama's, you know, oh, you okay? And, well, she was like that with Jesus. But this is what he said to them. Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my Father's business? First thing recorded in the Bible that Jesus ever said. Did you not know that I must be about my Father's business? And then he didn't say anything after, you know, you know, because it says he, you know, he had to go and, submitted to them. Now, let's look over in, in uh, John 19, verse 28. Um, now, this is Jesus hanging on the cross, okay? Dying on the cross. First thing he said, I've got to be about my father's business. Talks to the woman at the well, says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. Did you see you see his little pattern of thinking that he's got going? All right, here he is hanging up on the cross, dying up there on the cross, verse uh, 28. You know, he had done, done all he was supposed to do. And after this, you know, just right after he dealt with his mama, making sure she was taken care of, uh, which is pretty powerful. Um, after this, Jesus knowing that all things were accomplished. In other words, he knew, I have done everything the Father sent me here to do. He knew it was over with. It's a done deal. I had to be about my Father's business. I've done it. I've finished it. It's complete. I mean, that's really what he was knowing. And then, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. And this, Then he said this, I thirst. So, here, get this. He's saying, you know, I must be about my Father's business. I've completed His business. I've done it. It's over with. Now, he's dying saying it, but then he says this word, I thirst. Okay, so that's like a, a real important point in my message here, uh, if you will. If you look at that word thirst in the Greek, and I know nobody really cares about that, but I do. <laughs> it's a verb, you know, I thirst. And this verb is a Greek 
present tense, and it expresses, this is important, it expresses continuous action. And y'all who know about English and stuff and verbs, they'll just drive you nuts. But continuous action, it really literally, like I got wrote up there on the thing, I keep on thirsting. I keep on thirsting. That's what he was saying. I'm keeping on thirsting. Now, let me just remind you what I just said to you a few minutes ago about water. Water is worship. That's the thing that Jesus is thirsting for. We provide Jesus thirst. So here's Jesus hanging on the cross, dying. Okay? And he's saying, I've done everything the Father said. I've ate the whole meal. I've done it. I'm finished. Yet there's this one thing that I still have a need of. You get that? As he was dying, as he knew he had done the will of God, he had perfectly done the will of God, he was saying, but I'm still thirsty. Man, isn't that profound? I'm still looking for people who will really worship me. I'm really, that's, that's what he was saying, dying on the cross. That's what he really meant. He wasn't, you know, people think, well, Jesus was physically thirsty because obviously the man probably had a fever of 108 or 9. He was obviously dehydrated from being beat half to death. I mean, or beat 98% to death, as we saw in the Passion movie, all the blood. I mean, it's a miracle. He made it as long as he did, really. I don't think we would probably die over a beating like that. I mean, I think I would. Somebody beat me like that. I'd be wanting to die anyway. You know, Lord, go ahead and take me. <laughs> I'm through with this thing. But that was not what he was saying. He was not saying, I need a drink of water because I'm up here on the cross dying and I'm, my lips are parched and my tongue's sticking to the roof of my mouth. He wasn't talking about something natural. He was talking about something spiritual. And it's profound that Jesus dying, saying, I've finished it, I've done it, but I'm still thirsty. I mean, doesn't that speak to you? He's still thirsty. On the cross, dying, finished with what He did. And He said, I'm thirsty. I'm looking for people to give me this water, this worship. Now, I really believe that's what He was saying. What else could He be saying? I'm still thirsty. And then, uh, of course... They tried to give him some sour wine. Actually, he didn't take it, it says in one of the others. But um, it says, you know, then he said, it's finished. Done. Came to do my father's, you know, I must be about my father's business. He knew it. He knew he had done it. He was looking for worshipers. Then he just says, I've done it. I'm finished. I'm through. And he died. That was it for Jesus as a man, you know, that came to the earth to be the Savior. Are y'all with me? All right, now let's go to Second Samuel 23. Um, you know something that was really good this morning that the Lord said through Amy that I hope y'all caught. But just in case you didn't, I'm going to tell you. She said this phrase, My heart is worshiping you. My heart is worshiping you. And I'm thinking, my flesh ain't ain't worshiping you, Lord. But I believe inside I am. And I, maybe in my flesh needs to get on with what's really going on inside of me. You know what I'm saying? In other words, I may just not feel good or be distracted, but inside of me, there's something crying out, wanting to worship. There's something in me saying, well, you know, the Lord's worthy. Yeah, He is. He's true. The real heart man that I really am. And then, you know, you know Lord, I don't feel good. I don't feel like being active. I don't feel like singing. I don't feel like doing anything. But my heart does, Lord. See, that's, that's how we connect with this thing spiritually. 
connect when you don't connect from the outside. You know, I mean, just like most people get up on Monday morning, I don't feel like going to work. You know, I mean, if you do, you're odd. Tell you the truth, but you don't feel like it, but you still do it because that's what you do, and you know, if you don't, you will get hungry quickly. I thought that was pretty profound, but let's look at this. This is profound message in Second Samuel 23. Uh, let's look at verse 8. I'm going to read verse 8 to 13. And these are talking about David's mighty men. Okay? Uh, verse 8. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Uh, Josheb Bashebeth, the Tachamite, chief among the captains. He was called Adino, the Esnite, because he had killed 800 men at one time. Pretty bad dude. I mean, you know, ain't nobody going to mess with this guy. He killed 800. I mean, he could wipe this room out and, you know, he could just walk through the room and there wouldn't be anybody left of a guy this bad, you know. So you think about a guy who killed 800 men at one time. He is not somebody you're going to make mad. And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, not Dodo, although it does say Dodo, but I think the proper word's Dodo, the Ahohite. One of the three mighty men with David when they defiled the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel had retreated. He arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to plunder. So here's this guy. He gets up here, and, and they evidently say some stuff to the Philistines. It says they defied him. Like, come on. And like, yeah, y'all want to fight? You know, just, we're going to fight you guys. We were just picking a fight with you Philistines. I mean, that was basically what they was doing. And everybody got scared. Okay? They all got, you know, all the men got scared and started, you know, retreating except for this guy here. And, uh, you know, he got up and just whooped the fire out of them. Beat them so bad that his arm seized up, cramped up on the sword. He, couldn't, he swung it so hard for so long that he couldn't let go of it. And, you know, so there's another guy you don't want to irritate. And just like, mm. Let him just pass through. We'll just stay out of the way. All right. Um, then in verse 11, and after him was Shemaiah, the son of Agi, the Herorite. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils, you know, bean, lentil soup. So the people fled from the Philistines. Another deal. Everybody's scared. But he stationed himself in the middle of the field and defended it and killed the Philistines. So the Lord uh, brought about a great victory. Now, I think that's, you know, if you think about it, there were only three mighty men of David. You know, think about it for a minute. In fact, i got it wrote down here. Well, I just wanted to say this. David is like a forerunner of Jesus. And this, what I want to talk to you about, is a prophetic picture of the thirst of Christ. I've given you two. Gave you the one with the woman in the well. Gave you the one on the cross. This is the third one. But there were only three mighty men out of at least 400 men who had gathered themselves to David. Uh, it says that in 1 Samuel 22, 2. Everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was dis discontented gathered to him, being David. And then it goes on to say that. There was about 400 men of this state, distress, debt, indebtedness, and discontented to people. In other words, it was a bunch of sorry bunch of people, really, that had gathered themselves to David. I mean, it was a pretty messed up crowd, um, you know, 
And I see, I think that speaks prophetically of the woman at the well. You see that? You see, David didn't gather the best. He gathered messed up people. Just like with Jesus. This messed up person was attracted to Jesus. Had this need in her life. These people were needy. They were, some of them were in debt. They were running from the debt collectors, you know. <laughs> Let's go hide out with David because we got people trying to get, you know, trying to collect our debts. Uh, or they were in some sort of distress or they were just slammed, discontented with the way things were. Didn't like the way things were. You know, just not happy with the way life was. So they gathered to David. So I think that's a picture of the, of the woman at the well is those people that gather themselves. Also, I think it's interesting, in verse 13 it says, Then three of the thirty chief men went down at harvest time and came to David at the cave. And, it's, and this is, the Bible is, is clear, clearly trying to communicate something to us, that these men came at a specific time, at harvest time. Just like in, the, in John 4, the woman at the well... It was a harvest time. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? It was time for something to happen spiritually in people's lives. And that's what this thing is trying to picture to us, that there's something spiritual that God in the Old Testament was trying to show us, and then He, Jesus sort of lives it out in John 4. Same thing, but it was just different. Now here's the thing. I would like to just grab some people this morning and haul off and beat the fire out of them. Because, oh, we love the mighty man who held the sword. Every man in this room would jump up. Yeah, that's what we want to be. We want to get us, get us a sword. Let's go whip some people. Okay? Right? I mean, what man doesn't want to fight somebody and whip them? I don't, I've never met a man who didn't want to beat somebody. The little boys fight. You know, play fight or whatever. It's in the heart of man to be a warrior, to be aggressive, to fight. That's what these guys were. That's why we admire these men so much. Oh, wow. A guy who could kill 800 people at one time. Wow. That's what I want to be, Lord, for you. Right? Yes, I do. But the problem is this. The problem is this. All you, you know, macho strut around, you know, guys, it doesn't work like that now. It's spiritual now. So all this stuff we have in us, don't we see that it's really God except we want to be like a bunch of idiots and think we're going to go around beating people up. So we can't beat them up because that's not acceptable. But there's something in us that wants to war. There's something in us that wants to fight. And it's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual war. It's a spiritual fight. So all you macho guys, oh, I'm into hunting. You know, I'm into you know, being an outdoors tough guy, blah, blah, blah. You have an opportunity to do something spiritual. You, you understand what I'm saying to you? Right. I don't know if you do or not. Verse 14. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. So David was in the cave. The enemies of God were in Bethlehem, which happened to be David's hometown. Also happened to be you know, where Jesus was born. You see all these parallels. Uh, all right, this is this is where this is the point. Remember, we're talking about being thirsty. Jesus was thirsty, and David said with a longing, "Oh, that someone would give me a drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate." So here's David. The Philistines had Bethlehem. David is saying, "Man, I'm just thirsty for that water from that." that well 
that when I was a little boy I used to drink from. I'm thirsty for it. Okay? So the three mighty men were sitting there and heard that. Okay? Three, the three, and, and, and all right, let me just tell you. Guess why they were mighty men? I, I really don't believe it was because they just beat the fool out of everybody. I believe they were mighty men because when they heard David say, I just want some water from that well, they heard it. And guess what they did? It says, uh, so the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Think about it for a minute. In other words, they had to go in there and fight their way in to Bethlehem to get that water. They had to fight their way in there and get the water while they're fighting. Now, of course, these are bad guys now. I mean, if you wanted to get three guys to go fight their way in something, these are the three you want. So they go and fight their way in, get this water. Have to, you know, one of them's getting it and two of them are, you know, slicing and dicing everybody around them, you know. Then they had to fight their way out, get out of there and, get, you know, get back alive and get the water to David. That's what they did. That was, that was their heart. That was what was going on in this picture of what really, it really happened too. That's the cool thing about it. So uh, that's why these three, these are the same three, I just, that's why they were distinguished. They were distinguished because they heard David's heart. And they said, David, this is what David wants. We're going to risk our lives to give David what David wants. That's why they were mighty men. It wasn't just because they were bad to the bones. People. They heard David saying, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. And they said, well, we'll go get you water for you then. So they fought their way in at the risk of their own lives. And here's what David did. He says, David wouldn't drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. I remember when I first read it, I was like, man, what is wrong with David? These guys killed, almost got killed doing this for him, and here you are pouring it out. I'm going to give it to the Lord, brother. You know, some religious act. Pour the water out before the Lord after these guys. You know these guys will just beat the pieces. Probably had blood all over them from other people's blood. Probably had a few nicks on them. Probably were just whipped. You know, breathing hard, tired. And they give this, here, David, we got it for you. You know, we got it for you. Oh, man. I can't drink this water. Pours it out after he said he wanted it. You know, that's how the Lord treats you sometimes, you feel. You feel like it is. And he said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things were done by three mighty men. In other words, David gave that water to the Lord. Okay? That's what he did. He really gave it to the Lord. He poured it out to the Lord as an offering, as an offering to the Lord. Um, so this is the thing. Um, what I said to you earlier about people so, about souls and stuff that the that God uh, is thirsty. You see, see, don't you see the picture here? Uh, and I think our friend Tommy Murph already said this that we need to go into the heart of the enemy's camp. Isn't that what he said? Didn't you use those words? I didn't put him up to it. <laughs> and they brought back the water to David. You see what I'm saying? And I want to ask you, saying, could it be that this is prophetically speaking to us, that we would hear the cry of our David's heart? Would we hear the cry of God's heart, Jesus' heart? 
Would we? I mean, is that really what was going on? You see, there were only three men out of at least 400 who heard it and did something about it. The rest of them didn't hear it, wasn't paying attention or whatever, wasn't there, you know, to hear David's heart. But three of them did, and that's why their, their three names are in the Bible. Uh, and there's a couple other guys that sort of got honorable mention because but they weren't the three mighty. It says they didn't live up to these, the, the three mighty men. Uh, and I believe what God really ultimately is saying to us about, about water and about thirst is about worshipers. You know, that really is the ultimate goal of the harvest is to bring not just, oh, we got these people saved. No. You see, why did we get them saved? We got them saved so that they could be worshipers, that they could become worshipers of God, that they would worship the God who died for them. Are you all following me on that? And that's really what I believe this story is trying to show us, that God is honestly, sincerely thirsty for worship. And He is honestly and sincerely desiring that to be some people somewhere that would care about what's on God's heart. And not just say, well, we, we care about what's on God's heart, but do nothing about it. And one of the things for sure that's on God's heart is this. God's looking for worshipers. And you know, the sad thing about it is, is we don't even really worship in half the time, I don't think. And I think that's what John 4 is all about, really. I think John 4 is really ultimately is this. It's about worshiping Jesus. It's about giving God what He really, really desires. is true worship. And, and also, not only me personally giving God true worship, but me bring, getting other people and bringing them into God's presence so they can, have, they can be true worshipers themselves. Because God is looking for those people. Pure and simple. Just like David was thirsty for that water. And, 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 you know, as Jesus so clearly does, is Jesus doesn't receive anything to himself. He pours everything out to the Father. He pours everything out to the Father. You know, that's why when his, he was pierced with the sword, that water that came out of his side, just like that water that David had, was being poured out to God as a sacrifice. Are you all with me on this? And this is really the heart of the Lord. I, I mean, it's, this is the heart of God. God really is trying to communicate His heart to people. That's why that Passion movie was so, you know, graphic, is that God was trying to say, you know, this is what my heart is. I want people to know what my heart is. I want people to get close to me. You know, I want you to be close to me. I want you to hear my heart. I want you to what you want. I don't want you to just do what you think. I want you to hear what I think. God is looking for us, for people who care about what beats in Him. And when I say the church is messed up, we're messed up because we're not really going after that. We're going after the latest fad or the latest whatever. And we're God saying, somebody in this earth, I'm looking for somebody who will say, I care about your heart, Lord. I care about it. And that's what I want to pursue in my life is your heart. Now, I believe that's the truth. And I believe, you know... Honestly, I just don't believe we're very good at doing that. I don't believe we do that. I really don't. And that's, that's the truth also. I believe we don't really give ourselves to that. We give ourselves to a lot of good things, a lot of spiritual things, a lot of right things. But I'm wondering, are we really giving ourselves to hearing God's heart and obeying that heart, responding to that heart? 
And, you know, the terrible thing about it, and you start doing it, it really will cause you to jeopardize yourself. You know, that's the, the point of this, is those guys went in jeopardy of their life. You know, your life will be jeopardized. Your ministry will be jeopardized. Your everything will be jeopardized to do what God really is on God's heart. And that's why we don't do it, because we don't like being uncomfortable. We don't be like being thrown out there on the, hanging on the clothesline naked, so to speak, for the world to see and want, hoping, is God going to be in this or not? But that's another story. But I wanted to just give you this last scripture that really sort of, you know, boils the whole thing down. Romans 12:1, And this is the New American Standard updated version, which is the best on this verse. I did not say it's the best overall. I'll still stick with my New King James, but every once in a while somebody beats the New King James guys on there. And we know this scripture, but this is why it's so cool in the New American Standard updated version. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. That's worship. To present your, that's what those men did. They, they presented themselves as a sacrifice to their David. They sacrificed their lives to their David. That's worship which is acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. That is your spiritual service of worship. That's ultimately what worship is. It's right there in that one verse in the Bible, is that we would totally give ourselves to God, to God's passions, to God's heart. That's real worship. That's John 4. That's 2 Samuel 23. That's what it really is. That's really what God is looking for in the earth today. Amen? And we're going to have a special song. And I want to challenge you. I hope you're challenged this morning. I'm, I'm very challenged by all this. I really hope you're challenged. If you're not challenged, I would just love to take some water right now and sling it all over you. Just do something to challenge you. Because I believe what I said to you really is the Lord. I really believe it's the Lord. I believe it's the Lord right now. And, and I just, just I can't help it. So as we do this song, which is a wonderful song, uh, if you really feel like God is calling you to this, to, to what I just described to you this morning, about this, this heart of worship, finding the heart of God, giving your life to God like that, if you really want to do that, I want you to come up here and say to God, this is what I want to do with my life. I am volunteering myself to become one of your mighty men. Jesus, mighty I want to sacrifice my life for you, for your heart, Lord Jesus. That's what I want to do. I really do. And I pray you'd show me how to practically live that. And we'll just pray for you and ask the Lord to, you know, help you walk that out.